If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, we need a new intro. Suggestions welcome. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Slaughter. Hi everyone. Um, I'm Emma and I'm going to be starting off with our first tale of true crime. And I'm going to be talking to you about a man called Ronald True. There you go. True. <laughs> yes, no comment necessary. Um, so let's just dive straight in. Ronald True, he was born in Manchester on the 17th of June, 1891. His mum was 16 when she had him and she was single. Um, so I'm pretty impressed that she managed to keep him. I and mean, this was a time when like baby farms were a thing and um, workhouses and stuff like that. What year was it again? 1891. Okay. Um, but she was able to raise him as best she can and then their fortunes changed when Ronald was 11 and his mother married a fairly well-off man. So Ronald was now able to go to grammar school but he was an incredibly poor student. He used to lie about everything. He would regularly just skive off and not come in. Do you think our American listeners know what a grammar school is? (laughs) i'm just thinking shit (laughs) i want to make sure i get the exact definition so i mean roughly so a grammar school is where you have to take an exam to get in there so it's free but it's for the clever kids isn't it i think so yes yeah but generally the clever kids were the rich kids anyway so see above so um Also, his new life of wealth, he started to get things, but it didn't do him any favours in terms of his personality. So he was given a pony and rabbits and all lovely things like that, but he was cruel to all of his animals. And he ended up leaving school at 17 with no ambitions, no real prospects. So his stepdad had him sent abroad to learn some skills and some trades, such as farming and stuff. So... Ronald True, he then went and lived in several countries across the British colonies and tried his hand at various things, but his reckless attitude just remained unchanged. 
and in addition, he soon started the wonderful hobby of taking drugs. Um, Particularly, he got into opiates, like morphine and stuff like that. So in 1915, when he was 24, obviously this is World War I now, so he joined the Royal Flying Corps. And in February of that year, he embarked on his first ever solo flight. He crashed and suffered a severe head injury. So it's believed that this did alter him quite um, immediately. So his behaviour was much more erratic um, and he really hated wearing hats after that. So, yeah, when you have a head injury, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but because you've got that fluid in your brain that protects your brain from hitting the skull. So if you hit your head really hard, your brain will basically propel faster than the, like the fluid can stop it. So it just goes into the bone. On the inside of your skull, you've got quite sharp bone. So then it will damage your prefrontal cortex. I guess, I guess a bit like having a lobotomy, um, yeah. but a less severe version. But it can that's sort of where your personality is determined. So then it will sort of alter your character interesting so despite all of that happening to ronald true it was only a month after this that he was then flying again but of course he wasn't ready and straight away he crashed again and so after this he had a full nervous breakdown um one of the um officers who was with him at the time was pilot officer guy dent and he said about him quote that he was always given to rushing about and laughing with a really loud voice and he was a very bad pilot i think that it's mentioned quite a few times just this loud erratic sort of like he would just be laughing uncontrollably loudly at the tiniest things or just suddenly burst out shouting and swearing. And I think in this story, he actually manages to fit in quite well into the nightlife scene at the time because he's seen as being the life of the party, but it just never stopped. He was like that all of the time, like the loudest, most inappropriate person just at all times i work with some people like that who've just got a massively loud voice and you can just hear them coming like anywhere in the building if they're having a conversation with someone they're just always on shout mode yeah (laughs) it's really unnerving well um most of the research from this was one of my old favorites um murders the black museum by gordon honeycomb and he said that actually it was really interesting that lots of men took to Ronald True really quickly and liked him but women never did and I think it's just because they were a bit more wary like men thought he's the greatest guy like he'll just tell a bitch to fuck off right to her face and scream at her and women like no yeah we don't like that (laughs) we're not a fan of this um so by October um Ronald True was discharged on medical grounds from uh, the military completely so he tried to get a job as a test pilot but lost this fairly quickly because he is absolutely terrible at flying planes and they need to stop putting him in one. (laughs) So then he went to New York and he spent his time there drinking and boasting about his epic successes as a war pilot and everybody just ate it up. He was so convincing that he got a job as a flying instructor so that he could teach other people to be shit pilots. Oh, God. And he did marry an actress called Frances Roberts while he was there. So he and his wife then travelled through America, they went to a few countries in Central America, and eventually they went back to England to settle. So in February of 
1919. True was at this point employed with the Gold Coast Mining Company, but his bizarre behaviour soon led to another dismissal. Um, He was still known for being irresponsible, erratic, but he was also going against the social beliefs of the time um, because he was making friends with the native Australian workers. There was loads of racism at the time. So John Thompson, who was one of the employees, said in his words, not mine, one must not hobnob with the blacks. Um, and that was just seen as part of his, he's going against what's not socially acceptable. They got rid of him. So it's sort of like a bit of a, like a maverick and a politically ahead of his time. Yeah. He's not a racist, but he's still not a great person. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't mean that he's not a baddie. Um, so he returned home disgraced once again and his stepfather made it clear that he would continue to give a small allowance so that he could keep his family but there would be no other help whatsoever all assistance would just be withdrawn so Ronald True's mental state was also now in a steep decline so he was completely addicted to morphine he was now having quite vivid fantasies about what was going on finding it really difficult to be distinguish between what was real and what wasn't and he was in and out of nursing homes for about 18 months after he came back to England and then in September of 1921 he was fined because he was convicted of using forged prescriptions so they could get more morphine so he's really going a little bit off the rails his wife she stuck by him she'd taken up acting again to keep her income and though she tried her best to keep Ronald in good humor their relationship did become increasingly strange uh, strained sorry he was starting to blame all of his misfortunes everything that happened was because of the other Ronald True and he believed that there was a man who was out there stealing his identity so if a bad check was written and bounced <laughs> It was the other guy, Ronald True, who's pretending to be him. If someone was seen fighting and drunk, that's the other Ronald True trying to take him down. So was that an excuse or did he actually believe that? Um, It's thought that he genuinely believed, like it was his way of sort of having a, explaining a split in his personality quite possibly. Disassociating. Yeah, so a couple of ideas. One that he's dissociating from himself and saying like sort of, that's not the real me, that's the other Ronald. But then also, there was at this time in London a cabaret singer called Ronald True. Our Ronald True is spelt T-R-U-E. The singer Ronald True was spelt T-R-E-W. And he was very active in the London nightlife and quite possibly would have seen this other guy about. So it's thought that quite possibly he was projecting onto this second Ronald True and sort of like because he can't distinguish between what's real and not what's not assuming that he's the cause of all his downfall at trial later they brought the other ronald true's twin brother into court (laughs) because this ronald true was ill and just tried to show him look he's nothing like you that's weird (laughs) so it's a little bit of both to be honest so he started just blaming everything on this imposter. He became increasingly paranoid, thinking that enemies, particularly the other Ronald True, were out to get him. And he also started to obsess over their toddler son. He would, throughout the day, he'd just keep wetting the boy's hair and combing it again and again several times. And then he started to be a bit more hostile 
towards the sun and so his wife decided right we need to try and get him certified as being insane at this point however january of 1922 as his wife made this sort of decision 30 year old ronald then abandoned his family and disappeared into london and he just began living a life of pure excess and just hedonism and recklessness so his life was just sex and drugs and drinking um he would either pay with a bad check and just it would bounce later or he'd just stay in a hotel and walk out go eat in a restaurant walk out get in a taxi run away like he had nothing but was taking everything which obviously wasn't gonna last forever no (laughs) So he made really close friends with this guy called James Armstrong in February and the pair would be out and about together practically every day. Um, And True bought a gun from Armstrong for £2 so that he was ready to protect himself should he ever get attacked by the other Ronald True. Um, His wife was trying to track him down so that she could get him sorted and she did manage to meet him after a couple of months and she was completely shocked by what he was saying his appearance Ronald would often go on about how back when he was traveling as a young man he met three palmists who told him that he would be killed by a woman and so all of this stuff was sort of going around in his head and he was just becoming really really frightening I think is the word um so his wife contacted Scotland Yard on the 3rd of March to start helping to try and track him down before he did something dangerous by this time however Ronald True was devoting almost all of his efforts and attention in pursuit of another woman who went by the name of Olive Young so Olive's real name was Gertrude Yates and she I'm not sure at what point she changed it but she did make a change in her life she'd worked in a shop and then she gave it up so that she could take up sex work not the typical story of like a poor woman forced into it like she definitely decided like this is more lucrative for me and it was more lucrative for her it paid her much better than working in a shop she was able to keep a servant a daily servant and she was able to start buying herself nice jewels and yeah doing okay I guess it's just a lot more risky isn't it though that's the problem have you been watching pose no oh it's really good but that um shows i mean particularly for the transgender community but shows that sort of the dangers of sex work and guess that there's money to be raised but it's whether you're willing to put yourself at that risk but yeah it's really good i mean she was putting herself in danger i think at first it was appealing she was going after like the higher society men more of like an escort yeah. of with extras like marilyn monroe sort of gentleman prefer blonde scenario but that was her thing so um she met ronald true And at this point, she definitely had more money than him. Um, True had stayed over in Gertrude's basement flat. And then um, he'd taken five pounds from her pocketbook when he left in the morning. So Gertrude no longer wanted anything to do with him. But he began to harass her. So on the 2nd of March, the day before his wife had seen him, he saw Gertrude out with another man at a tea dance. So he had hired her chauffeur-driven car with no money he was going to pay them later obviously and had it take him to Gertrude's flat but she wasn't back yet and he did the same for three more nights just asking the chauffeur to drive him to a flat waiting for her to come home but look every night she wasn't there 
On the 5th of March, Ronald True asked the driver again to take him to Gertrude's flat. She was there, so she let him in and the driver was sent away. The next morning's events uh, were outlined later as follows. So at 10 past 7, a boy came and delivered the Daily Mirror newspaper. At half past 7, um, a man came and delivered the milk. Then Ronald True made two cups of tea with the milk and took them into the bedroom. And then Gertrude was sat up in bed when True hit her five times in the head with a rolling pin. And then he strangled her. Whoa. He drank his tea and stayed in the flat for over an hour afterwards. So on that, she must have said something, surely, because why would he bother making her a tea if he's about to... It's premeditated murder. He never... And he's a loose cannon, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. It could have been anything that he suddenly believed that maybe the other Ronald had got involved. Right. Or maybe the fact that she'd rejected him for those other nights as he saw it. Um, he's got so much paranoia and fantasies happening. It's hard to know what it would have been that yeah. made him think she needed to die. Um. So at 9.15... Um, a girl called Emily Steele arrived at the flat. She was Olive slash Gertrude's daily servant. And so she came in, just let herself in and started tidying up. Ronald walked into the kitchen and he'd seen Emily before when he'd stayed at the house. So they just greeted each other and like said hello. And then Ronald told her not to wake Miss Young. They were out late last night um, and he was going to send a car to collect her at 12 o'clock later. And he tipped her half a crown and strolled on out. So Miss Steele eventually went into the bedroom to try and wake up her mistress. Um, what she saw was that the bedroom was completely ransacked and absolutely covered in blood. So she pulled back the covers where she thought was a body and there was the rolling pin. So then she went into the bathroom and there she saw Gertrude's body um, completely naked a towel was shoved into her mouth and a dressing gown tie was around her throat where he'd asphyxiated her so she immediately ran for help and the police were at the scene by quarter past 10 during this time ronald true he left the flat and had taken a taxi to a menswear shop um he had blood all over him and was trying to change his clothes so he told the shop assistant he'd just flown over from france that morning but had, had a small crash landing and that's why he had blood on his trousers could he help him out and he'd pay him back later i mean it, it's weird because he's trying to cover it up so it suggests that he does know that he's done something bad but then he obviously wasn't in his right mind yeah i think he knows he killed her but the reasons why are just completely yeah not logical i don't think but i mean that worked so this guy gave him a new suit charged it to his account oh, and he, he's getting money isn't it off he went wearing um whatever so then he went in another taxi and pawned what was probably some of gertrude's jewelry at a shop and then he summoned the same chauffeur from the night before to take him pick up his matey james armstrong and they went to look at some engines then they went to tea and then finally they went to the hammersmith palace of varieties at eight forty, where the driver was dismissed so he is just living a complete playboy aristocratic lifestyle on nothing 
Yeah, I can't believe he's got away with this for so long because you can only go to one each place once. I think it's everyone's own fault because they just believed that if you're rich, you were a good person. And so we'll let you off. You can pay me later. Yeah. They're like, oh, he's so well dressed. He'll definitely give me a big tip in a week's time. Like, no, people just didn't think they thought only poor people were the shit ones, didn't they? Mm. As the driver returned to the garage, uh, the police were there waiting for him. So on his information, because obviously the maid knew exactly who it was on his information the officer then headed to the hammersmith palace of varieties um to arrest true they went in and they took him from the box where he was watching the show and they also took the gun from his pocket which was loaded so again it's not really he true never mentioned it but he had a loaded gun with him all the time so why had he killed her in this other way oh yeah he would never say True's initial statement was that he'd been at Gertrude's flat and he saw that there was another man already there. And so after what he called a stormy scene, he left. And the other man must have been the one that killed her. Of course, the maid refuted everything. So he was charged on the 7th of March with willful murder. And when he went to prison, he was an absolute knobhead. He was like... Again, he went back to being loud and giggly and erratic and he um, sort of made friends with other men who were accused of murder and were like, oh yeah, another one in the murder club. Like, we sh- we kill him straight out. Like, so he went to normal prison, he wasn't... Um, at first, while he was awaiting trial, this was, he right. was just boasting about it. He definitely was a bit of a rutter. He attacked other prisoners because he... He constantly accused people of stealing from him. He was still acting the same. So his trial was on the 1st of May, 1922, um, where his defence tried to say that he was um, insane. And the prosecution just, they didn't call any doctors. They just called witnesses to say about what he'd been up to. So he was actually found guilty and sentenced to death. And he went to Pentonville prison after that. While he was there, they did have some doctors come and re-examine him and they declared him insane and he went to Broadmoor from there. And he spent his entire life in Broadmoor until he died in 1951 at age 60, a very popular um, patient. No way. There you go. Oh, that's interesting. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago... If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. In some ways, mine is weirdly similar to that. It's a tale of broken Britain. <laughs> That's why. We're living in a tale of broken Britain. Oh my God. Oh, right, no. we, we shouldn't get political on the podcast, should we? Never. Can we? It's our podcast. Vote Labour! Jeremy Corbyn's the best! <laughs> okay, so that's you it. like him? I love Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> Luke absolutely loves him. My mum absolutely hates him. Like, I can't spend time Does she? Oh, I watched Question Time the other day and like, did but well. did you know that he's doing this? <laughs> so my story is uh, Noreen O'Connor... Um, and it's also called The Loxton Murder. And I got a lot of this information from a website. Man Down Street. <laughs> yeah. um, from Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> a website called loxtonsomerset.org.uk. So it's not actually any, a murder website of any sort, but it just had a lot of details about his murder, which was quite nice. So it's just like a website for the place. And like the best yeah. thing we've got is yeah. this murder this tale. This really detailed story of this horrible <laughs> murder. So it's a similar sort of time. And there's a few sort of crossovers with yours, which is quite interesting. Brilliant. So let's it- look for comparisons. <laughs> So in 1889, Miss Frederica Alwyn Marie Bulls, who's uh, known as Marie, moved from Germany to the UK to work as a lady's maid for a woman called Emmy Maria Franziska, who's the wife of a man called Frank Tarks, who's the, a director of the Bank of England. So wealthy family. Um, I guess like they were called ladies' maids. Now it's sort of be a housekeeper. So she worked for them for years and years through the First World War, stayed there she, i mean i guess she's sort of one of the family by now but she's yeah um working with the family as well doing jobs for them um, but when the second world war started uh due to her being german she's basically told she can't stay in the uk so she has to go back to germany so the Tarks had to find a new ladies maid and if downton abbey has taught me anything from the 20 hours that i sunk into it <laughs> is that there's nothing worse than losing your ladies maid and also that French ones are the best. I'm surprised you like Downton Abbey. I love a period drama. Is it just for Americans? You're like, oh my god, the UK. Um, out of all of them, it's probably not the best. <laughs> they just like it's like, oh, here we've spent three seasons making a character and getting you to know them, and then we'll just make them do something completely against their personality for the sake of drama. <laughs> Brilliant. I find really irritating. I'm more of a call the midwife girl. And like the same person, like fucking Mr. Bates. How many times is Mr. Bates going to be falsely accused of a crime? Surely in someone's life, once that's going to happen. But they're all, and everyone's so quick. They're like, he must have stolen it. Even though last year you were all like, oh, we're so sorry for thinking you stole something when you didn't. And then straight away, but he did steal it. Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so by... By this point, the family live in Loxton. So they're looking for someone new. And um, Emmy, the wife, is in a wheelchair because she was injured in a hunting accident. 
So they employ um, a registered nurse. She's called Noreen O'Connor. She cared for Emmy and then Emmy, the wife, dies in 1943. Oh dear. Um, And even after this, she stayed on. So although she was Emmy's sort of carer, lady's maid, she stays in the house as a housekeeper, despite the fact that Marie has now come back as well from Germany and continued to work for Frank. This all sounds like it's getting very Du Maurier. Like it's (laughs) going to be like Rebecca too. She's going to burn down the house. (laughs) Not quite. So Marie... I think she she Marie comes back as a paid worker and then Noreen basically is like the substitute wife. So she's oh. the one who's going with Frank on holidays. She goes to Persia with him. She goes to South Africa with him. Like she's, as his companion. Yeah, so she's like his driver, but obviously like to spend that much time alone with someone, it is more of a companion role, role kind of like someone to have around isn't it yeah um so i mean there's no they don't really i don't think they try and hide it it sounds like they're together and they're pretending they're not yeah she also went to like the cricket with him then they're definitely together because we ain't gonna watch no cricket if (laughs) if we're not getting dick it (laughs) (laughs) didn't even make any sense (laughs) so she's like the substitute wife because his wife's died and i guess like she's the younger one as well so Noreen was pretty popular in Loxton. Uh, she was pretty sociable. She got involved in village events. She helped out at the school. I think she'd go along and make cakes and, and give the children presents. Obviously, I guess she's got access to Frank's money as sort of his, I guess, new wife. I mean, she's obviously not just there in a working capacity. Yeah. So she's just stepping up to it and he's like, my wife's dead, do whatever you want. Yeah, essentially. Um, she helps fundraise for an extension to the village hall. So people like her. They respect her. They think like, she's invested in this community. So Frank dies in 1952 and he gives Noreen his house, Ooh. his cars and his shares. So they were definitely fucking. Yeah, of 100%. So, I mean, Marie's been there for years. He fucks her off. So he, I mean, to be fair, no, he doesn't. He says in his will, Marie's got to be able to live here though. So she inherits, I mean, it's a cottage, but it is an eight bedroom cottage. That sounds like the setup to a really, like a 1970s sitcom. Like this lady's maid has inherited the house and this lady's maid is forced to live there. (laughs) Hilarity and shoes. That's how I think of it. So Marie's, she's obviously been a loyal staff member. She's basically one of the family. So, and by this point, she's she's getting on. She's suffered two strokes. She's broken her leg in a fall. So she's, I think she's essentially um, bedridden. She's 77 when Frank dies. Um, and Noreen's 46. So she's very much uh. like the younger woman. Uh, so... Noreen lets her stay in the house and she actually gives up her time to care for her. So they seem to get on pretty well. I don't know if she had much choice because the will did say Marie's not going to get kicked out just because I'm dead. I mean, she's 77. It would be pretty hard, harsh to I just mean, be I mean, like, I don't oh, know about... That always seems to happen in films and TV that someone says something ridiculous in their will and then everyone has to go along with it. I don't know how yeah. enforceable these things are. Just because someone's dead doesn't mean they should yeah. be able to control your life. Yeah, that's true. Because living in her house is quite a... What if they fell out? But then also, she's really old. Like, just let her live there. It's fine. Yeah. So all was pretty well. Noreen was, people said, affectionately caring for Marie um, until September the 1st, 1954. So on this day, at 7.20 in the morning, 
which is a Wednesday, um, Frank's younger son, Peter, receives a call from Noreen. Uh, she said to him, something terrible has happened to Marie and that she was under the power of evil. Uh, Marie, she means. Oh. And Peter's like really confused. Um, he doesn't know what's going on, but he goes straight to Loxton. So he doesn't get there very quickly because he lives in Dorset. So it takes a bit of time, but he heads off. So before he arrives at 8.15, Eva Simmons, the cleaner, arrives and she notices that the curtains in Marie's room were closed, which by this time was quite unusual. Noreen tells her something terrible has happened, uh, but she doesn't elaborate. So Eva just assumes that Marie's had another stroke and yeah. she's deteriorated. So she just stays out of her room. She wasn't asked to go in there. Noreen's caring for Marie herself anyway. So she just isn't, uh, she doesn't get involved. Then Peter arrives about 10 o'clock. And he finds Noreen lying on the sofa in all her clothes. Um, so she's obviously got up and, and got herself together. And Noreen says Marie had had an evil look in her eyes. So she said it had been so evil, she'd plucked her eyes out. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. That just went really... I was like, I've just been a normal woman my whole <laughs> yeah. life. And then she looked at me so evilly that I plucked her eyes out yeah literally what like with her fingers just she's the one that snapped oh my god so marie and she says oh she's not dead but i've i've killed the evil so peter's like what the fuck (laughs) so peter phones the doctor i'm not sure if she's not gonna be any happier now (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so i mean noreen's only 46 which is quite a surprising turn for someone so young and obviously Marie was bedridden. Um, so Peter phones the doctor, but there's no mention of whether he actually... I mean, surely the first thing he'd do is go in Marie's room and have a look. Um, so the doctor arrives and uh, he's like the local doctor. He knows Why are they these calling people. It, like she's admitted to plucking out someone's eyeballs and everyone's like, okay. Well, we'll see what the local doctor has to say. <laughs> uh, Noreen says to the doctor, last night there were a lot of evil presences in the house and I was very worried. So what I did was... I went up to see Marie and hold her hand to say that she wasn't scared. However, after a while of sitting in Marie's room, she says, I'd seen some evil in Marie's eyes. So I had to get them out. I mean, this might have flown in the 1750s, but this is 1950s. People aren't down with the evil spirits anymore, surely. I mean, she'd obviously had a psychotic break, I would say. So she'd also said the bedspread and the door had been giving her electric shocks. So like weird, obviously not true things, mm. but things that she clearly believed. So when the doctor went upstairs to have a look, he found Marie lying on her back, fully dressed in bed and with a sheet over her. So he pulls up the sheet and underneath, her eyeballs were still there, but they'd been like pushed into her eye socket that's one of the worst things i hate that yeah. on tv when someone pushes on the eyeballs oh, to birth them i hate eye stuff anyway i mean i guess that's what a sort of a little bit that goes to prove that she believed it isn't it because if she wanted to kill her or hurt her you would just kill her or you'd like punch her in the face but to go yeah. after the eyes like that and Ooh. not kill her yeah she obviously thought that it well was she was thing. i mean she was dead but oh, was she yeah but i don't think I mean, she's an, she's like a seriously ill old lady anyway. Um, and like her eyelids were torn as well. And she'd also oh, torn her right no. nostril. 
Um, so he said that she'd been dead for about seven to ten hours and the cause of death was injuries to the face. I mean, thankfully, it seemed like she'd been asleep or like unconscious before she'd been attacked. Although she said she was giving her an evil look. She could see the evil in her eyes. Yeah, so I don't know if that's actually true. So then he... Although maybe she was having a seizure of some kind. Yeah. So then he drives to the police station. He said he didn't phone the police because operators were still a thing um, yes. at that time. So he was worried that someone would listen in and I guess be traumatized by hearing it. But So he drives to the police station and he tells the police. And then the police come and they take Noreen to the station and charge her with murder. So they have an inquest and that's held at Axbridge Magistrates Court and that takes about two and a half hours. Um, so I think it's a bit confusing in the way it's described, but I think there's there's an inquest and there's also a court hearing, but they sort of blurred into one. So... I think at the inquest, there were six witnesses that were called. So there's Peter, obviously, who's um, Frank's son. And he was the one who turned up at 10 o'clock. And he describes what happened. And he's also asked during that if Noreen would benefit from Marie's death. So if there's anything in the will that's important. Only uh, that she'd be rid of her, though. Yeah, that's it. He said no, said that she wouldn't. And then Eva, the cleaner, she testified. And she testified again in support of Noreen and said that Noreen would never have wanted Marie to be hurt. And she'd be really upset if she was aware of something bad happening to Marie. And the doctor also spoke and said Noreen had always appeared helpful and competent prior to the incident so that this was a big personality change. So a bit like Mm. in yours where um, I guess it wasn't a sudden flip in your one, but she literally flipped in one night from Mm. one personality to another. At trial, the police presented evidence of there was a tooth and there was hair and a broken comb that were found in Marie's bedroom. Now, it didn't ever say how she'd attacked her eyes, but I'm not sure if maybe she had used the comb. Ugh. It's either the comb or her hand, grimly enough. Um, there was also a towel with blood on that was found at the house. And then they took... So they took all that evidence and they took scrapings from under Noreen's nails. And then they also found, when they examined Marie's body, that in one of her hands, um, it had been swollen... And she'd been clutching hair, which suggests that maybe she was conscious. Yeah. Um, and trying to fight off Noreen. See, when I went to get my nails done, I was just chatting to the girl and I was like, Oh, you know when you like when you take people's gels off or whatever, do you ever have does anyone ever have any gross stuff underneath their nails? Why did you ask <laughs> that? I, I thought that was like a I don't know, I was interested. That's like disgusting. And she was like, What do you mean? Like poo or something? I was like, No, I just mean I don't know. Like because <laughs> like this, small talk can I make with this? People person? always find weird stuff under their nails. Like there's so much stuff under there. Yeah. Well, because like, like just dirt, blood but... and skin cells. I don't know. Because, well, it was a bit more to the conversation because I was saying how when I worked in a jeweler's, I was like, used to weirdly find it satisfying to, if I was like fixing a watch or changing a watch strap, you'd see how 
on the inside of a watch, you'd get a oh, really yeah. thick, gunky build-up, which is obviously just dead skin oh, and sweat and oil. And like I'd that. used to like, I my job was like, I'd clean it up and make it look oh. nice by like digging it out with a little tool. Yes, I uh, love shit like that. Loved it. And so I was like, we were on that vein. And then I was like, think, oh, she was cleaning out my nails. Like being like, oh, is there ever anything gross under there? And she was, pretty much your reaction though, like, what the fuck are you on about? <laughs> <laughs> I used to like it when I'd get like, because... When you're younger, you have a compass, don't you, for school? Yeah. Obviously, I don't have a compass now. I'm just like, needles aren't the same. I used to like clean, like to clean the remote edges with a compass or like round the little um, number, like the little buttons, because you could get all like the gross little dirt that you can't really see. Stuff like that. Just love it. I guess it's like pimple popping, but yeah like not as disgusting it's like something really precise and cleaning maybe that could be my career change i'll be working like pathology and <laughs> scrape under cadavers fingernails oh, someone's got to do it someone has got to do it and why not enjoy it <laughs> so they also found that the tooth uh, well they said it may have been removed after her death but it was marie's tooth that was found in the room noreen was being held at western supermare and was mostly pretty quiet the, the first day she was, she was held. So they obviously they brought this all into trial. So they commented on her, how she'd been acting. Um, and that evening she began chanting religious phrases and then moving furniture around the room and praying. So they'd got a doctor to see her and she'd become very violent towards the doctor. So they had to put her in an empty cell and she began shouting and praying loudly. So again, unusual, yeah. very erratic behavior. And she was able to make the hearing. So she did actually go to her own, I guess, trial. Um, but she pleaded not guilty. Um, I don't think they. she gave a reason. She definitely didn't speak at court. I think they thought it wasn't appropriate. So there was another witness as well. And that was someone who'd seen her the day before. So this was um like a clerk of the company she'd been given the shares in. I think she was one of, I guess, sort of a director of the company. I guess she part owned it because Frank had yeah, left her those shares. One of, if she's quite a large shareholder, she yeah. must have had to go to a board meeting or something, shareholders yeah. meeting. So she was known to this company and he said that Noreen had visited his office that day and she'd been saying um, Frank was guiding her. Obviously, he was dead. Oh. Um, and how she'd escaped sudden death that day in a collision and he said see if that was a rom-com everyone would be like oh that's amazing (laughs) the ghost come back to guide her brilliant but he said she was mentally deranged instead um so prison staff also agree that noreen was definitely suffering from some sort of i guess disease of the mind is how they phrased it so the what i think mostly there wasn't a motive i guess if if she'd had something to gain from it they might have been more likely to pursue it as an actual murder investigation but because there was really no motive to charge her with a reason for killing um marie she was found guilty but insane um they all agreed that she wasn't in her right mind so she was sent to broadmoor uh, but she was later released from broadmoor to live at st andrew's hospital which was local to loxton and then she died there in 1983. So she might have been in Broadmoor at the same time as... Yeah. Oh, well, she was, our mine died in 51. They all just taken yeah. over. But, oh. So basically, this podcast was one really long advert for the NHS. <laughs> yeah. Because so. the NHS saves lives. Yeah, and if you care about the NHS, you know what you need to do in the next general election. There we go. <laughs> so thanks, guys, for listening. Thank um, you. I know it's a bit of a a short one this time, but I'm sure you can live with that. 
please follow us on twitter if you like to at slaughter the pod uh we're on facebook if you just type in as apostrophe laughter um, we're on instagram lucy emma slaughter you can email us at slaughter the podcast at gmail.com uh tell a friend write us a review um tell us what you thought of uk drag race send us a christmas card don't because they'll have to know our address register to vote take care guys we'll see you soon bye tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts good news ad free listening is available on amazon music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your prime membership stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the amazon music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.